Hi everyone, I'm Lucas Mack and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I'm so excited to bring today's guest. Her name is Busy Gold. She has been called the millennial voice of personal development. She is a powerhouse and I found her while I was surfing content on Instagram and I immediately resonated with her content, her voice, and her power. She is powerful. And in this episode, we get in to hear her journey, what she is up to. And I know if you listen to what she is saying, it will resonate with you and you will feel empowered. You will leave feeling more empowered to be you. So Busy, thank you so much for joining and I hope you all enjoy. So my sister, Busy Gold, thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really happy to be here. I'm honored to have you on. So everyone listening, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I come across this video of this powerful voice talking about something that I've been talking about for years and you've heard me say often on this podcast is darkness is not a counterforce to light. Darkness exists in the absence of light. And Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. And I run across Busy's posts talking about we've been this narrative to accept both light and darkness as some enlightened way of being. And we know that's not, that's not true. Yeah, I mean, they, they pitch it as the essentially universal law of duality. And it's actually a massive trick to get us to not only allow the darkness, but to be enticed into exploring the darkness and embracing the darkness. Because I think this doesn't, you know, I always say the the macro mimics the micro. If we look at the micro scale of something, we can also then augment that and look at the macro scale of it. If we're taught that exploring our shadow side and our dark side is in our best interest, we can then augment that out to the macro scale. Well, I mean, we should let people dance around in the darkness and play around with what's lurking in the shadows. That's mm. how we, that's how we balance the light. That's complete BS. It's just a, it's a, it's a trick that's been done to humans to actually allow for the very container that we're in right now. It literally created the container in which we experience our reality. That's right. That's beautiful. The, the um, I grew up severely abused, which I've talked a lot about on this podcast. And I did a Ted talk called breaking the cycle of child abuse a couple years ago. And one of the things that I help men specifically with it, cause I think men, if men heal the world heals because men, I believe are the origin of pain. If you go up a family tree somewhere, it was a man that perpetuated pain, even though women obviously can continue that cycle on. And so I work a lot with men. And one of the things I tell them is you have to go into the darkness what, you, what they're afraid of. What I call fear and darkness are synonyms like light and love are synonyms. So fear mm -hmm. only exists in the absence of love. And when we feel fear, instead of running from it, I tell them that is the place where you invite love in to drive fear out. Just like if you're in darkness, you don't like, well, I guess my eyes better adjust. No, you flip a light on and you turn and so you can see. And so one and of I the- I would almost say that- Yeah, yeah. I would say that fear- can all, it, to me, the core, I understand the correlation to an extent between fear and love and, and all that. But in the work that I've done, I found that 
what actually is when fear is pervasive in your life, what's actually behind that is a lack of trust in something bigger than yourself. So even if it's not love, it really at the end of the day is kind of this universal trust, like whatever you want to define it as God, the universe, some sort of spiritual order in life, something beyond just everything is chaos and I should just succumb to it. When you don't have any sort of trust or faith in something that goes just beyond yourself, it becomes very hard to not live in fear, even when you are loved. Because I know plenty of people that have a lot of love in their lives that still live their lives every single day in fear. And it has to do with that deeper trust in a a bigger plan. That's it. Beautiful. Um, We're, before Busy and I started talking on the podcast, everyone, we were catching up and one of the things that I've, I've always struggled with. So I grew up in a very religious house and studied scripture and, and then studying with my friend, um, Rabbi Brody for years, I was always confused where it said, and stay with me. You're like, where's this guy going? Oh, no, no, no. But just, you, just go, you go wherever you want. I can, All right. I can um, but it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I, and then when I grew up, it was like, well, fear means reverence, awe. And then I'm like, why does it say reverence and awe is the beginning of wisdom? Because that would be clear, but it says fear. So then I'm studying all this the past five years, six years, specifically around this word fear. What, why is fear the beginning of wisdom? But we only know that text written in Psalms and Proverbs. So then I'm like, okay, well, what's the origin of this? What's the context that, that Solomon and David are writing this? And I'm studying the word hava, which in Hebrew is the word love, and it means to give. So here I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, the greatest act of love that I can give someone, God, you, my wife, my children, humanity, is to receive their love. Mm-hmm. The greatest act of love I can give is to actually receive someone's love. But in order to receive someone's love, I first have to give my fear away. Absolutely. Or I can't receive love. And that's the wisdom. It's like we have to give our fear away to something bigger. You're right, to something greater than ourselves. And I was saying in a podcast recently to my evolutionary dogmatic friends, may you fall in love with the origin of the Big Bang. May you go and just whatever the origin is of what is and what was prior to what you know, learn to fall in love with that. Because when we love something greater than ourselves, you're right. It allows us to trust in a order or a flow, I guess. Absolutely. Or, or trust in just not knowing what comes next and that you actually right now have the skills to react and adapt as needed to continue to survive. Because most of this comes back to your brain from an early childhood experience. You get patterned with what I in my practice call a source belief pattern. So really that source belief pattern, you keep looking at your environment and the people in your environment and reacting to these people based on a very specific set of data points, really without doing the work to make sure that these people really belong in each of those categories. Because your brain just kind of snap defaults, that's enough like this, that's enough like this person. So you just keep repeating the same cycles of emotional response. As you continue that out into the future, when you become an adult and hopefully you start to think at a higher level about science or 
the evolution of humanity, why human beings are here. If you don't do the work to unwind that pattern, you actually carry that same source belief pattern with you like a lens prescription mm. when you're trying to figure out these problems. So I, I feel like this is kind of the, the big issue with what you just described. A lot of these people that do look at something and they're like evolution or big bang or any of these things where they're like, see, I'm like, I'm going to use this sort of theory as a, as a means to not delve into anything else ancillary or that could be related or could disprove. Right. That usually comes from that childhood source pattern and it's why looking at something in so, so much of a one dimensional way without being able to get all the different ways it could be expressed. So to those people, again, in a way that, that inability to like kind of fall in love and almost surrender to whatever that idea is to be able to find some sort of surrender or ability to let go. It's coming back from that early childhood perspective that there might, they might not possibly be aware of that they're even looking at the issue with. So that's, that's a big thing that I actually teach in break method because so many people don't realize that their perspective and their view of the world is in many ways shaped by an eight year old. Because we think that, you know, with however many years that we've been on planet Earth, we've somehow risen above that eight-year-old viewpoint and ability to connect and solve problems, but we really haven't for most of us. Mm. We've, in fact, just continued to seek out evidence to keep proving and proving and proving and actually solidifying that belief more and more. So for most people, they get to be like 40 and they think that they should be this, you know, evolved emotionally intelligent human and instead all they've really done is spend the last 40 years continuing to solidify that early childhood belief and not realize that they're missing potentially a large amount of possibilities in their lives that they're just literally it's like they've got blinders on that can't see them so that's one of my passions to get people to be able to break through that stuff i work with a lot of people that dealt with either religious trauma i deal with a lot of people that were either raised in cults or trying to exit cults um, obviously lots of PTSD, lots of abuse yeah. and being able to walk people through this four month process. And at the end, slap them with this workbook that I call the big picture workbook where it's like, okay, hey, now that we've done all this, let's take a look at how this is actually affecting your ability to perceive the bigger picture around you as it relates to spirituality or politics or how you look at the culture that you were raised in how you look at other cultures, because I think that's where they start to see this little belief sneak in where it's like, they feel like they're, you know, so liberal or progressive or awake or aware. And then when they do this workbook, they're like, shit, I literally am just repeating the same thing that I just learned for the last three months. Damn it. Wow. But how did you tell me your evolution of your life and, and how you've gotten to where you are as far as just your awareness and your spiritual beliefs and teachings? Cause you're, by the way, everyone watching and I'll put the links in the website at the end and we'll, we'll share, but your content is powerful. Thank you. And I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to actually gift you access to my online course. Cause I want you to dabble around in there. Wow. Thanks. Uh, I think you're going to really vibe with it. Awesome. awesome. And then the other thing before I forget on the same topic of, you know, the person that kind of allows science to potentially be their end point where they're like, well, science, you know, and then they're like, I'm not right. going to even have this conversation. I actually have a lecture that's in that Red Pill Primer series on the Woke Psych website that is called Interdimensional Reality and How to Not Lose Your Shit. Mm. And in that lecture, I actually bring about a bunch of scientific theories and I actually show you how they all prove each other and prove the presence of God. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty good one. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Uh <laughs> 
I'll give you access to all that stuff. I, this whole concept, and actually, before, please, I, I do want to hear, and I want you to share, like, your evolution of, of your life and how you even came to this place because people are curious, like, how, how are you speaking these ways when most people are, you're right, like, only reaffirming the echo chamber of their intellect? Well, that's where things get extremely weird for me. Um, <laughs> that's all good stories. I'll be, I'll be real honest with you. Yeah. This, I mean, this question inevitably comes up because I've had people that are doctors, physicists, you name it, people with all the degrees that have come eventually to one of my works. And then at the end, they're like, so did you channel this? And I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, this is what I think. I think that you just taught that in a way that's never been taught before. And it's all true, but I don't know how you did it. And I'm like, okay, good talk, good talk. <laughs> um, so I guess I will, I'll try to give you the, the shortened arc because I don't actually think that it's particularly exciting or relevant. It just kind of is. And maybe that's just my perspective where I am now that mm-hmm. in many ways, based on how our society and culture functions right now, the way that I arrived at all these things actually serves to be a little bit more of a nuisance than anything else because everyone wants it to be like, well, I studied it. And then they stamped yeah. it with this degree and now I know it this way. Yes. Which to me is quite the opposite of where I think our society is going and needs to go. Because going to school to have somebody teach you what has been stamped for approval in a textbook for you to then regurgitate it, spit it out again, and then only teach that thing, to me is why our our society is the way it is. We're trapped in this cycle of repetition. Mm -hmm. And true evolution and true revolution as it relates to emotional intelligence, spirit, history, politics, how these things all need to actually function together. That's very critical, I believe, for humanity. These things, as soon as you start to try to push the envelope or evolve them or move past what is taught and stamped in a book, then you end up having people come after you. So in this way, that's why I say that how I arrived at all of this ends up being kind of more of a nuisance to the content that I do have to share rather than like a cool story. But I'll give you I'll give you the short arc. Yeah, yeah. So when I was a little kid, my dad jokingly would refer to me as the Oracle. Mm. He did this because no matter who we were around and without giving too much detail, because I, at least at this point, need to protect kind of the privacy. I'm still dancing around what to do with this, but I grew up in a family that's very tied to a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now um, in New York City and Connecticut. So I would be around a lot of business people, lawyers, doctor, you name it, people like FBI agents, government officials, and always in the context of either like a cocktail party or a party at my house or just entertaining, entertaining. And even from a young age, anytime I'd be asked a question, even if it was far beyond any academic or intellectual level that I should have been at in an age appropriate way, I'd overhear a conversation and I'd just spout out an answer. And my dad would be like, Elizabeth, what are you doing? My real name's Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what are you doing? And I'm like, that's the answer. 
And he's like, you couldn't possibly know that. And then the person would be like, that's actually right. And he's like, oh, okay. So early on, he started to realize that for whatever reason, if somebody would ask me a question, I would just know the answer. Hmm. Then he started to kind of almost use this as like a sideshow act where he'd be like, ask her anything, ask her anything. She knows the answer. <laughs> so still in my life, people tease me about this and they'll be like, busy knows best, busy knows best. But the thing is, it's not you have to be able to ex- understand a multi-dimensional perspective of the human being. So for a second, let's say that I'm busy, right? You're talking to me. I exist in the, what most people would subscribe to as the third dimension, although that's its own thing that I actually disagree with. But let's yeah. say the majority of people would say that I exist in the, the third dimension. Yes. So in this way, our soul exists in our body. I personally believe that it is, actually existing in the form of DMT housed in our pineal gland. Yep. So imagine that this body is really an avatar that is essentially holding on to my soul, which exists really for all intents and purposes in my pineal gland. So theoretically, I really am what is housed inside of my pineal gland at this moment. Even though I look like I have this and I've got headphones on, really I'm, I'm that. Now, that substance is also if I have my body you know, healthy, clean, in my opinion, unvaccinated, doing everything I can to try to keep myself from environmental exposure, etc., and have actually been able to hone my gifts over the course of my life. In theory, then what is now housed in my pineal gland should have access to all dimensional aspects of myself in one moment. Mm-hmm. This is essentially how I do what I do. Some people are like, I channeled this. Or, it's not channeling, it's me but it's a much higher dimensional aspect of me that knows all of these answers in a way that it feels, and I've, I've been asked about this a lot, when I teach in break and everything that's come through at break, it never feels professorial. It never feels like I'm looking at somebody teaching down to them. It always feels like it is being shared from a place where in my most hot, like highest dimensional aspect of myself, it's what we all know and it's just common knowledge and I just am bringing it to this dimension so that people can actually get some of their emotional intelligence back, realize who we are and stop being so cognitively manipulated by the system, basically. So it's really coming from me. It's not coming from like another entity. I'm not channeling another entity. It's just me. And despite... The when you start to look at my content and what exists, most people for a while are mind blown. I don't say that to like stroke my own ego, but even for me, when I go into my sessions to actually write out my content or I see a lesson plan in my dreams and I go and I, I go to create it, I don't I don't research, I don't study other people, I don't follow other people, and it's not out of any sort of I'm better than them. I call it intentional ignorance because I don't want to accidentally contaminate what's coming through. I don't want to accidentally steal something from somebody else that just happens to be in my mind's eye. So I really keep very strong blinders on as it relates to all the content that I teach and all of the lost history that I teach. Because if I, if I start to look at other people's stuff, it makes me start to question what's coming through. Because if something's coming through that clearly articulated with that many other aspects that are not just I mean, not just intersecting with it, but honestly giving it different context or nuance to expand it, then I know something is true and correct. 
So all of my information comes through that way. And in that way, when I actually go then to read content that I've written or I've actually gone back and watched a lecture that I've given, while I'm giving it, it's like I'm kind of blacked out. And then when I watch it, I end up learning the content. Yeah. That I just, so I often, I've, I've basically become my own teacher and I've had to learn from my highest dimensional self so that I can get myself out of the trauma loops that I've been in my whole life. Cause I've, I've dealt with a lot of trauma in my life as well. And I feel like, especially in the last three years, I've really gotten to a place where all of my old patterns of emotionally responding and my own patterns of processing information are completely gone now. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So hopefully, hopefully that answer was, no, it's, it's, I, I, I get it. Um, I think people with trauma are the ones that are going to be, the, well, they are, it's not going to be that we, you, me, others like us who experience trauma. And now when the world is experiencing trauma, we're like, great, we've already dealt with the trauma. Now let us teach you how to go through it. Yeah. Let us teach you how to heal in it. Let us teach you how to not be afraid of dying because dying was the first thing which was true of your earthly body the moment you came out of the womb. So therefore, you are finally coming to the first basic truth of your existence in this form. Now, let's shed that fear and let's really live and breathe. And the easiest way to shed that fear is to really prioritize that work to gain some sort of trust in something bigger than yes. But yes. that's literally the only answer. There's so. So Saul, uh, David, so one of the Psalms says, happy is the man whose trust is in the Lord. And the word Lord gets so bastardized with religion, but what the word Lord means is love supreme over all. That salvation means to be in love, in the center, enwrapped, encapsulated with love. That's why when we're in the presence of someone that you just feel their presence, you're like, Oh, okay. I can breathe. I can let my wall down. I don't have to feel guarded. That is being in that place of trust. And so I don't reference scripture all the time, but I think it's really important that the one time the scriptures, the Bible talks about happiness. It's only directly equated to trusting. They literally have to go in tandem. Yes. You have no trust in your abilities, your life path, something bigger than yourself, you're always going to come up dry when you're trying to figure out how to put one foot ahead of the other. You're always going to feel nervous. You're always going to likely try to assert control over what comes next, which is always going to make you feel like a failure or like a, like you're being rejected because you, human beings, we can only control so much. I believe that the only thing that we can actually control with 100% accuracy is how we choose to respond to our environment. I don't actually believe that we can control our environment. Mm-hmm. You have children, I have children. Yes. Even though we try to control our kids sometimes, we also just can't. Right. I was on the boat with my son yesterday and we're like snuggling on the back of the boat, the winds in our face. He's like, mom, do you think human beings will go extinct? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I was just do you think humans will ever go extinct? And I was like, no. And he was like, I think aliens are going to take us out. I'm like, okay, can we not talk about that? And no matter how much I was like, let's try to reposition the conversation. Like we're here right, for your right. sister's birthday. Right, We'd right. reposition it and he'd be like snuggling and then just more stuff would come out of our mouths. It, no, we can't control other people. We can't control our outcome. All we can do is be really mindful and intentional with how we're responding to what comes at us. 
mm. for the best end result. One of those things is going to have to involve trust in something bigger. Otherwise, everything gets very annoying. Honestly. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Annoying. It, I went, I mean, I've, I've been there before. I've been in those moments of doubt. Everything gets really annoying. Everything feels very constrictive and like what happens right now is of critical importance to putting the next foot forward and the next foot forward. Otherwise my whole future is going to go on the, you know, toilet bowl. Right. I was raised in that where I remember being in middle school already stressing about what Ivy league school I was going to go to. Like I've already been duped into that mindset and that is it's constrictive and it feels not only annoying, it, it feels entrapping. Like you're like there's only so much you can do to ever try to move your life forward and trust if anything should be prioritized right now, it should be digging into your spiritual belief system, whatever that is, and at least playing around with it and exploring it. That's, that is going to be the ultimate medicine for anything that happens next. Hmm. That's beautiful. Do you, let's get back to you for a moment talking about DMT because most people I'm, Perhaps, I don't know, I'm making an assumption that people are listening to this all over the world and a lot of people are like, wait, what? What is DMT? And do you want to share? I mean, I can share. Okay. You, share. Let's- you go. I mean, you tell me when you want me to tag it. You go for it. So it's my- not, I love how in sync we are where it's like all the things that yeah. like, great. Oh, you go. Yeah. You tag it. All right. So I will share that. Um, I did therapy for two years, every single week, sometimes twice a week, without fail for two years straight. And then after two years, I did an emotional intelligence training, um, which for the very first time in my life, I experienced, if there ever was one, a born again experience. And why I did is because I experienced for the first time in my life, unconditional love, where people just said, let it out, let it as ugly, dark, dirty, disturbing disgusting and i went hard in the paint i shook everyone i mean i shook this whole program (laughs) up in san diego people were like what is happening and i shared something that and i'm going to get to dmt in a second but i shared something i never uttered out of my mouth in my entire life i'm in a room of 75 people and the trainer was working with me and as soon as i said it it was like Like I had been living underwater my entire life. Like I thought I was breathing, but I was not breathing Mm -hmm. until I said the thing I was most afraid to say. And people started crying in the room and I experienced freedom. And what it taught me was where love is present, truth will come forth, resulting in our personal freedom. And we, so, and I'm going to get to DMT in a sec. Stay with me for, but so much of the world is, is, and even a religious, even well-intending people are pushing truth. Like, what is the truth? Truth, truth, truth. But the truth will automatically come out when there's love. I, I look at truth like a groundhog. Like, it, it wants to breathe. It's buried in our hearts. It wants to come out and like, ah, here I am. This is the truth of what happened. But it's afraid of judgment. So it sniffs judgment and burrows, burrows down deeper. So I experienced this. I was on this pattern like, wow, love is what gives truth birth and truth births our freedom. So then my friend who was a medically retired special operations um, combat veteran, a hero that the world will never know his amazingness, but him and his wife brought me to a place where I sat in ceremony and I've sat multiple times in ceremony, but the very first time I sat in ceremony with DMT, 
for everyone listening what that means. Um, I had an incredible vision. And the vision was I was looking at the world and the world, the globe was turning. I've never talked about this on this podcast, by the way, but it's time to talk about it. So I'm glad we're talking about count it. On, count on me to bring out all Hey, this. let's go busy. Let's go, sis. But the earth was turning and it was slowly turning. I was way out in space looking at the world. And everyone uh, listening, I don't know if you've ever seen those coexist stickers with every religious logo um, on it. And I saw on the earth in Boston gold, the size of North America. So I'm way, way looking at the earth and the earth was turning, the sun was hitting it and it was hitting these golden boss logos. So the earth is turning and it reflected. And I heard God say to me, Oh, how cute. My people are trying to connect with me. And I was like, Whoa, God, God of all humanity, God of all creation, God of the origin of all that is the, 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 and God breathed in the man and man became a living soul. Our neshama being the breath of God, <sighs> that breath. And that's why I'm equating it back to the emotional intelligence where I felt like I could breathe the very first time, but that breath, when you're talking about being in the pineal gland and the DMT inside and that, where did the breath enter us? I believe it really entered in the pineal gland, not in necessarily our lungs, right? So it's like, and this is, this can get, people can argue or discuss, or, but I believe every prophet in the old and new Testament, any vision that was seen, someone was on DMT. I think the acacia tree, I think Moses, sorry to my, my sweet Orthodox friends, but I think Moses was on the acacia tree. And I think when he experiences God talked to him in the bush that's burning, but was on fire, but did not burn. He's having this profound experience. Well, and. <laughs> Bail me out, busy list. Yeah, couple, sure. couple things. Yeah, so yeah. For those of you that don't know what DMT is, it's dimethyltryptamine. It's produced in all living organisms. Oh. So essentially to be alive, you produce at least some amount of DMT. In our body, DMT is housed in the pineal gland, which is the most highly protected gland in the body. Mm. We secrete very, very micro amounts when we're having lucid dreams. We secrete large amounts if we are having a near-death experience. And then we actually flood the entire contents of the pineal gland after we pass away. Mm. Other than that, it literally just sits there. Mm. So I actually think that when we see people doing medicine ceremonies, and you're right, almost all forms of medicine that's used in ceremony, what's actually the acting ingredient for most of them is going to be at DMT. Like even right. when they talk about like licking toads or whatever, like yes. it's DMT. Yep. So every different plant medicine is going to have a different mixture of DMT versus other psychoactive ingredients. So I actually take a very distinctly, perhaps different view of medicine ceremonies than many shamans do. I think if go on this logical line with me. If we produce DMT and our soul is actually held in the medium of DMT, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be the, the medium that actually holds the, the, the soul. If we are then taking other plant medicines, we are not actually having 
a connection to God and seeing our relationship to God or to the universe, we're actually sampling their experience. Mm. Go with me on this one. This is why I think so many medicines, they'll teach like, oh, this is like Pasha Mama. Like this is the, the energy of this medicine. This is the energy of that medicine. The reason the energies of different medicines are distinctly different is because those particular plants are going to have a very different life experience and imprint on their soul Yes. than we would. Like yeah. if somebody took our DMT, they'd probably be like, oh, right? Like we probably have a lot more of a hellish trip than like a yes. plant. Yes. Um, so that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that I don't think those things still have validity in terms of being able to open up and expand our consciousness. But I think this part gets missed a lot in shamanism where we're really not paying attention to the fact that we are actually sampling that plant's soul and that plant's soul powerful. is actually teaching us a lesson powerful through its perspective yes. of yes. the world around it so yes, just wanted to share that a little bit because that i've seen that get misconstrued a lot and there's definitely been this i would say fall this would go into that category of false light that i talk about where it's something mm. that presents as something that's light and beneficial but actually brings about a very dark agenda behind it and i think there's been a really large push toward ayahuasca and like yes. being woke and aware that actually as a medicine, if you haven't done a lot of internal emotional intelligence work and repatterning your trauma, that's something that can actually serve to pull you deeper and deeper in the darkness right. and frankly allow entities to attach yes. you in yes. the process. So I do think that it's important to be mindful of the fact that just because something is referred to as like medicinal doesn't actually mean that it's medicinal and it doesn't mean that it's not going to do more harm than good. What a great, a couple of things to that and affirm love. Yes. And what a great argument for, or point for anything facts, you know, just because something is medicine or healing of anything vaccines, exactly. blah, 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 right. But, yeah. um, for everyone listening are, and when I went into that emotional intelligence program, which I've talked about a lot, I'm a huge proponent of, of it. However, there's a lot of narrative that this breakaway of like ego death and i reject that narrative because I do ego is I do part of us mm -hmm. it is it, it would be like insane if i hated my left hand or right hand or cut off something it is protecting the innocence of myself it is protecting the innocent soul and the problem i think in this world and i think the problem with abuse unhealed is that people believe they are their egos versus that the ego is a, a tool and an asset to protect. And so the narcissist lives in ego so much that they don't even know their soul. But to varying degrees, we all experience ego. But what I help guys and people, that's what I'm loving what you're saying, is the ego is our guardian of our innocence. The more trauma, the bigger the ego. We don't hate that which protect us. We just need to tell that which has protected our innocence. Thank you. Thank you. And you're no longer needed all the time. But when yeah. people take medicine, quote unquote, mm -hmm. all that medicine does for everyone listening, if you, I mean, not all that. I don't, I don't want to reduce it to that. But the very basic thing that DMT does is drops ego. So people are left with- well, it, it so what it does is it separates, most people don't realize that they have multiple aspects of the self 
not only communicating, but sharing information all day long. Mm. So one of the first things that I teach people how to do is how to actually observe their own thoughts because most people have stopped drawing the defining lines between a thought that is being essentially put on the recording track that you're asking for and requesting rather than something that's just kind of coming without a request. If you can learn how to observe those thoughts, you can actually reprogram your brain to start to delete these thoughts because they're not actually supposed to be there. They're coming with that protective reflex, which by the way, this is, I, I, again, I take kind of a slightly different approach here. When we talk, and I agree with you that there are so many practices that we'll talk about the ego death and, you know, removals and things like this you're not removing any part of yourself like and you know to bring it into context of god like god made you perfect and whole like we're not trying to remove anything yes all we're doing is we're we're learning to look from a multi-dimensional perspective of why that protective reflex is there and what that protective reflex makes you think about yourself and about your environment and actually rewire that protective reflex because you want to be you want to have a protective reflex yes you do but we don't want you to be tripped into cycling your life back through the same traumas just because that's what it's used to. So I actually, I, I usually steer clear of the whole world word ego, because I think in many cases, what's actually being talked about is the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And then this part in the middle where you can't Mm. actually differentiate what's what that's what I teach people how to do is how to actually draw that defining line and learn that their subconscious actually has a lot to say. And we've stopped any practice of learning how to listen to it and have it communicate important things to us. That's so good. That's good. And in line with that, because I realized what I forgot to say. So when we were talking about, you know, Moses and all of yeah, the burning yeah. bush and all of that. Right. So also, I think when you are highly spiritually developed and whether you want to refer to it as meditation or prayer or focus or concentration, or you're actually actively trying to connect your transmitter, so to speak, to something uh-huh. yourself, if you want to call it God, God, you actually have the ability to intentionally drip DMT in your own body right? So if that is what's attached to lucid dreaming, and when we have a near-death experience, our body has a larger drop of that DMT, and we have this experience where we see God and we walk into the light. There are people, which I believe might be the case for some of these spiritual teachers in the Bible, where through their own practice, they were able to actually get their pineal gland to release DMT. So whether it's from medicine outside or it's from their own practice inside, you as a human being can also learn to do that. So you can through, basically through give yourself breath your work practice. or meditation or all exactly. sorts. Yes, yes. And then you're actually learning through your own soul rather than another soul, which I think is actually probably long-term more beneficial. Beautiful. Yes. Yes, I love it. Have you read the book Untethered Soul? No. Um, it's a beautiful teacher in that in this regard and it affirms everything you're saying so good thing you have your ignorant blinders on or whatever you're calling it yeah, the blinders of ignorance. I, I like to read um only books that i really i mean at all have read recently and it's it's more just like how i'll flip through them are dolores cannon's books oh yeah i don't know if you're with Dolores Cannon. She was my past life hypnotherapy teacher when I was really young. So I have like all of her books on my my thing. And that's more just kind of like, you know, to like excite my mind and think of the possibilities. But other than that, the answer is probably going to be no. All right, good. Well, um, Untethered Soul is a really beautiful book. And what the teaching is, very, very, very simple book, is that we are not our thoughts. 
We're just not. And the one that observes the, the thoughts is us, mm-hmm. <laughs> the real us. And so it affirms what you're saying. And everyone listening, um, you, if you want to get some context around what Busy's talking about, that book's a really good book because it simply shows tools to put awareness to thoughts and then separates the patterns that just constantly run. And if the one who is aware of the thoughts is not the thoughts, then what is the one who is aware? What else can we create if we deviate from those thoughts? And I, this is, we talked about 3D, talking about 5D, we can talk about all these things. What's happening right now is truly incredible. It's, 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 it's incredible. I don't know other way to say it. I, in Judaism, I've talked about this before. The very first prayer upon waking is the Moadani, which I thank you, oh God, O oh living and eternal King for returning my soul within me with compassion and loving kindness for great is your faithfulness. And it's this, if that, and I say that every morning before I get up and that separates my like, if I just stay like, oh, I'm going to get up, brush my teeth and do my stuff, that keeps me at this lower plane. But when I start my day in gratitude and receiving, everything has changed. And I think what the world is happening right now is that differentiation between that, just the carnal self, the, the earthly, fleshly materialism, what I can buy, what I can see, what I can touch, the five senses, and all of a sudden it's opening up to what else can we do? Where else can we go? How else can I speak and stand? Because we finally have a pattern disrupt on a global Mm -hmm. scale. And as painful or scary as it might be for some to not know how they're going to pay for that or to not be able to figure out how to work and then also have their kids home all day or how to buy groceries. I, I understand that all those things can be very scary, but this is offering each individual an opportunity to completely have no other option but to disrupt their life norm period there's no other way around it every however you lived your life before is in some way affected at this moment and it's a great opportunity to observe and reflect on the things that either not necessary are being done in a way that the systems requiring that you do them, but you've actually found that there's a a different way that might work better with your family or with your heart or with your relationship. This is a really unique opportunity to flip it and not just think about all the scary things, but really use the pattern interrupt as a way to look at all aspects of our lives and think about what should and shouldn't be there anymore and what we need to do differently, even when when we do come out of this on the other side. I know a lot of people are like, it's never going back to, you know, I I can't tell you how many articles I've seen that it's like, you know, it's never going back to normal. I literally saw an article that had, it was like masks are the new norm. Like let's let's embrace. And it was like fashion things. Yes. I don't think I've ever thought, that made me so furious. I was fuming. You and I are, are, we're, we're probably going, receiving the same information, the same drops. Yeah. And I, I tweeted that yesterday and said, no. And then I, I tweeted at them and said, no, <laughs> we are not going down that path. Um, when I posted, there's so many layers to it that don't in any, uh, to me, very, very clearly do don't have to do with the virus itself. Right. 
this is an attempt, I believe, to push this transhumanist AI agenda forward, where they do not want us in touch with our emotional intelligence. They don't want us truly connected with each other. They don't want us to be connecting with each Can you, now that everyone has had a chance to walk around, when somebody has a mask on, mask on, you can barely hear them, first of all. So like people are kind of just keeping their communication to a minimum. People are afraid to connect with you. And you can't really understand a person without seeing their facial expression. It's really hard to tell what somebody is saying or what their intent is by only looking at their eyeballs. These are all steps to keep us separated and literally like shedding our actual humanity, which people need to stand up for and not allow. This is so good. You referenced red pill earlier on your website and red pilling. How have you seen people who might've been quote unquote asleep respond to some of the things that you're sharing in your world and your site and your content? I've got to say, and I'm going to take a second to knock on, on wood. <laughs> I don't know if it's a result of now years of kind of walking closer and closer to this and people that dislike what I have to say falling away. Mm-hmm. But so far, I've had a, I have a lot of clientele that are, I'm sure they would describe themselves as very liberal progressives and also a lot of women that would probably identify as feminist. Mm -hmm. Some like very strong Mm -hmm. feminists, right? Like as part of their career. So I would say I am actually mind blown at how well it's been received and how many people have steadily not just woken up, but been able to piece the things together. And I will say a lot of my, I don't even like to use the word followers. A lot of my people have done break method before. So they already have the ability to learn how not to get triggered when they're going through cognitive dissonance. So they can keep asking me questions along the way. And some of them have had moments when they've been triggered in the middle of a podcast. And I use that as a great example to talk through it and show them a bunch of different perspectives. And so far it's been incredibly well received. I did want to take one second because there there are a few things linguistically that I feel like actually do us a massive disservice. Hmm. So I think people don't have enough context for what red pill means. So let's do, I know, and I'm sure your listeners and things, you know, are probably. I've never talked about it before. You were, you referenced it. So yeah, this is really important to give context. Because I think when we're, our brain, especially with how cognitively manipulated we are by the mainstream media and by movies, et cetera, newspapers, many people that perceive themselves to be liberal progressive, when they hear red pill, they're like, Republican pill? Like, you want me to take the Republican pill just because it's red and they think of red as Republican, right? Mm. So the brain does this very quick word association thing, which is actually called priming, right? You're primed to, even if you're not, the whole aspect of priming, you don't really, you're not aware of the fact that your brain is jumping that next step just saying the thing, which comes from cognitive manipulation. So as an example, in every time they've run the study, they can show you the color yellow and say, 
what's a fruit that you can name? And everyone says banana. Some people say lemon, but if they've just shown you the color yellow without any context, and then the next question is, can you name a fruit? People will automatically say something that's yellow because yellow is just flashed in front of their eyes. So for this reason, we see this kind of word association game, I think, used against us. And I'll put us in like the pro-humanity category, yep. right? I mean, yep. Yep. that's what I always try to get through to people is that at the end of the day, I want what is best for the human collective and our human sovereignty. So however that gets care, if that's the end goal, all I care about is that end goal and whatever God, universe, et cetera, believe to be the true and correct optimal timeline to get there. I, I'm in support of that. I believe that what we're working on is that optimal timeline. But hey, if I'm wrong, I still want whatever's best for humanity. So like, God, take the wheel on that one. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I think when it comes to this, things like the red pill, and then people immediately jumping to that Republican thing, the red pill is usually most people, they use it in the context of referencing The Matrix, which is a movie, right? It has nothing to do with Republican or anything like that. But it's, I mean, it, interestingly enough, they say like, do you want to take the red pill or, you know, the blue pill? Which happens to also be a Republican and Democrat colors, which I don't think is accidental. So just so that everybody is aware, taking the red pill doesn't mean that you're basically like pledging allegiance to be a conservative Republican. Okay, right. so just like wipe that off the slate because I find that a lot of people, that's their first point of triggering. That's not at all what taking the red pill means. Taking the red pill means opening up your perception and perspective of the world around you and essentially putting on, you know, I think Christians would call it like the armor of God, but even just kind of like, I call it like putting on your cognitive dissonance helmet. Like you're going to go into a bunch of things that trigger you, that make you question your entire reality, that make you probably question the way your parents raised you, the way your school raised you. So if you are willing to put on this cognitive dissonance helmet or the armor of God and actually jump down this rabbit hole and see where you land, no one's telling you exactly where you personally have to land, but if you're willing to jump down the rabbit hole, then that's what's called taking the red pill. Taking the blue pill is just, yes, sir, but you know, I'm sure David Icke refers to as like the stamp theory, which is just, you're taught all these building blocks of your life and you just keep agreeing, committing, agreeing, committing, and then you end up in a very controlled, manipulated perspective of reality, which we can all, I think at this point on this podcast, describe as manipulated not in the best interest of human beings and not honest and yes. very dark i want to say one thing to that because so thank you for clearly articulating that because that i've we this first time ever uh, on this podcast discussed things like this usually we've talked about love and humanity and people and being the fullness and fear and love, but this concept and in stepping into and why i'm so excited and happy to have you on is bringing this this narrative i love the helmet uh what'd you call it? the helmet of uh your cognitive dissonance cognitive, you're like which is i'm gonna like i'm gonna get hit by a lot of objects but which is powerful because in you reference christian like put on the full armor of god mm -hmm. and what's the helmet called in the, in the new testament it's called the helmet of salvation which i've already defined and i'm really a proponent of talking about salvation means to be in love that you when you go into contention or start to pull things apart not you but ye us humanity <laughs> to be in that place of love the trust that it's gonna be okay and what i tell people all the time when we talk about unity because i do believe 
in unity. I think it's a beautiful, I mean, even David writes, how beautiful is it for brothers to dwell in unity? There's a beauty in unity, but the unity that I want is as many colors as possible, not just the colors of the rainbow. I'm sure maybe scientifically, those are the only colors, primary colors, whatever, but, but the, the vastness of the differences and the inflections and the colors and the, the perspectives, but all arced with a purpose and to stand as one human race, one human ideal that we are the only species on this planet that can articulate with our words and from our words create, whether we create death, destruction, despair, control, manipulation, or we create beauty, love, light, art, um, you know, uh, just safety, whatever that is. And we are at this place right now, I think, where people are getting, it's like the wall in Star Wars. They're in that garbage compactor and they're getting, the walls are closing in and everyone's trying to put all these useless like bars. I don't know if you've seen the movie. (laughs) Some have, some haven't, but there's a scene where the walls are closing in and they're trying to fight against this inevitable closure. And that's what I feel like is happening right now where it's like people that are think they're far apart, like the liberal, the conservative, the Democrat, Republican, all of a sudden we're getting squeezed to one. Like, Oh, this is getting uncomfortable. And then we can finally be in like, oh, you want you want to live in peace? Oh, that's funny. I want to live in peace. You you want to be loved? Oh, I want to be loved. You want to have a future? I want to have a future. And then it's almost the irony is the the elitist control will always produce their own demise, even though they've had a nice pattern for many years, centuries, thousands of years. When we come together, even by force, we start to look at each other like, oh, it's okay. And I, I just love your perspective on, on this because I think, I think having a female, just that the feminine energy that you bring to, to this conversation is calming and it's nurturing and I love it. And I listening to him like, man, awesome. You're an awesome person busy. And I'm thankful that you were open to coming on and talking about this. Yeah, no, this is great. This has been one of my favorite podcast interviews I've ever done. done Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And I will, you know, hopefully we have many more conversations, but before we, before we wrap, um, can you share with people how to get a hold of you, where they can find you, like all the things that you are bringing from your pineal gland to the world? <laughs> so the emotional repatterning program that I teach is an online course. It is a four month long immersion program. And we just started this semester. We'll have another semester starting in the end of July. But you awesome. can head to breakmethod.com. There are also just intro mini courses that you can take just to get a taste of what the course material is like. Our online course that's that four month long immersion has about 250 hours of lecture with me. So it's essentially like taking a college course. So go into that knowing that you're literally going to emerge, not a different person, but 
a very rewired, repatterned version of yourself. And like we were talking about, instead of kind of like cutting people out of your life or starving off your ego, we're teaching you how to look at what and why you became what you did and how to actually rewire that so that you can keep all those people in your life and stop being triggered by them and stop actually yes willingly cycling through chaos and drama because you don't i believe that's a completely false idea that you have to go and it's very prominent right now like oh you're a narcissist you're that like i'm gonna cut you out of my life cut you out of my life like i'm cutting out all the haters how do you know at this point because i can pretty much guarantee you that it's not really that person that's the problem necessarily. It's the way you're interacting with that person. I wrote a blog post a few years ago called um, Toxic Relationships with Hypoallergenic People. Which I'm (laughs) sure everyone's seen this before where it's like you have two people where as your friend is trying to talk about this other person, you're like, God, I've never known that to be the way that person is. And yet when they're in this relationship, suddenly they become toxic and triggered and they're participating in this chaotic cycle. But then when you separate them, their personalities are not really that way at all. Mm. People have what I call a symbiotic dysfunction, and we usually uncover this in virtually every intimate relationship that exists. This doesn't mean that because you have a symbiotic dysfunction that's triggering and you produce some sort of chaotic communication cycle, this doesn't mean that you have to break up, it doesn't mean that you have to separate, and it doesn't mean that one person's a narcissist and one person's always playing the victim. This is a cycle that you have become addicted to and perpetuated, and I can teach you how to get out of it. So we do all these things in break method to help uncover the person that you're truly meant to be outside of your protective reflexes. So we, we teach you how to not drop the protective reflexes, but rewire the protective reflexes so that they're protecting you only from that which truly deserves yes. you to protect against it. Because yeah. most of the time, these protective reflexes come up at times where you're really not in danger at all. Right. Right. And that's usually when we create a chaotic cycle in our relationship or with our kids or with coworkers that just is unnecessary. So that's what we do in break method. So that breakmethod.com. Also the Instagram account for break method is pretty funny. We, especially on Tuesdays, we do tough love Tuesdays, which is just all essentially psychiatric issue memes that should really make you laugh. And <laughs> usually my, my joke with people is, being able to identify your own crappy behavior in a meme is step one, but then you need to actually like go do the work because a lot of people can look at me and be like, Oh my God, I totally do that when it's like a really destructive chaotic behavior, but it's up to us to not just identify in a meme and laugh about it, but instead to actually raise their hand and be like, and now I would like to do away with it because no one actually has to live their lives with these sort of destructive cycles. It's completely unnecessary. And I know that a lot of the mainstream methodology of dealing with psychological issues is part of the reason that we're in this mess in the first place. We've become a very psychiatric drug dependent, yes. you know, therapy. Symptom, yes. Symptom, Symptom treatment yes. instead of actually really understanding the root of why somebody is reacting this way. Hmm. So we don't deal with it at all that way. We have a very, I, you know, in fact, one of my Facebook ads like a year ago, the headline was, this is not therapy. Like, and you're welcome. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's break method. And I also, with that, my podcast that I talk more about emotional intelligence and rewire emotional responses is called The Modern Good. Mm. Then I have kind of this other aspect where I look at more macro level goings on of the world from the 
intersection of the metaphysical, the spiritual, the scientific, and the political. And that is called the psychology of woke. And the website, you can either go to, it's simpler, it's wokepsych.com and psych is P-S-Y-C-H, or you can also do psychologyofwoke.com and then the Instagram is wokepsych. Awesome. I will put every single one of those links in the show notes. Thank you. This, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're alive. I'm thankful that you're speaking. I'm thankful that you are putting out all this content. And thank you so much. Seriously, oh, so I have looked. I thank you. I just want yeah. To- thank you to your audience. And um, if there's anything I can ever do to help out or help you, I love what you're doing. You've got a great energy, and I love your message. It's thank really. As I mentioned in the beginning, there are so many people that are trying to accomplish this and they're really just focusing on one aspect. And I love how you're really building a solid container to help people see all aspects of this because it's, to me, it's got a lot more sustainability. If you're just kind of triggering somebody and being like, wake up to this, right. without any sort of like, and what's the next step, then you're kind of just out there triggering people without helping them merge back into a collective. And I love what you were saying about, because I think this is, again, it's another false light trick where people will talk about like the law of one and unity means like all, you know, kind of co-mingling and becoming each other. Yes. This is completely false. I usually give people the analogy of a clock. So Mm. if you were to look at a clock, you were to take off the face and you see all the little cogs that are all twisting and turning to make this clock tick. There are a lot of cogs that look similar to each other, but their teeth are further apart. Some are shorter, mm. some are bigger, some are smaller. Right. This clock, if every single one of us tried to look at another person's cog that we really liked, and I want, I want to be just like that person's cog. If we spent all this time trying to either be all the same or to only try to desire to be somebody else's cog and a reflection of that, our clock wouldn't work. So if we want our true collective to function, it is of the highest importance to figure out exactly who you are in its most individual, unique, odd, you know, I'm a pretty odd chick. In your your most quirky way possible, be 100% you and don't be tricked or duped into subscribing to these groupthink ideologies and labels because that is the antithesis of figuring out exactly who you are. So good. It's so good. I, um, I'm coming out with a music album here pretty soon. I've been writing songs since I was seven years old. And one of the lyrics of this song called love is you're not broken and there's nothing wrong. You just stood in darkness so you could sing the song. And then the chorus goes in love. Yeah. There's nothing they want to sell. We're broke. And if we are broken, then there must be a solution that we must find and we have to pay. And then that's, well, we fall mm-hmm. into this trap. But when we say, I'm not broken, but there's healing that I can experience. There's freedom I can experience. There's more love I can experience and more observation and more perspectives I can experience. Then that is a fully self-empowered human being to live and rise and lift other people up. And that's what you're doing. So Amen thank you. to that. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for engaging with this episode, listening to Busy and I talk. Busy, thank you for coming on the show. You're an incredible powerhouse sister, and I'm honored to call you a friend, and I'm honored to call you a sister. All right, guys, this is the time. You get to choose how you're going to show up in this world. And one little bit of encouragement. If today was your last day on earth, are you going to look back with 
pride and smile that you gave everything you possibly could give while you lived? Because if you don't feel the sense of pride, like you were spent, you were wrung out, you gave everything you possibly could give, I encourage you to begin that now. Use your voice. Articulate a message of love and hope and stand in your power, share your story, and be not afraid, my brothers and sisters. Be not afraid, for light drives out darkness always, and love drives out fear always. My name is Lucas Mack. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I look forward to talking with you on the next episode.